The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, it's Cabinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me as mainly always is Chicago's King of Geeks, Elliot Serrano. How are you, Elliot? I am in the middle of my own series finale. <laughs> that is depressing. Yeah, that, that, no one knows how it's going to end, but I have, I'm pretty sure that half the people who see it are going to be pissed off about it. Well, it, it all depends on if your life is a comedy or a drama. Because if it's comedy, you probably won't die. Um, uh, unless you're a dark Because now there, there's that in between. I, I think I'm in a dark I don't I, I, There was a little while I thought it was a sitcom. <laughs> My life is single camera. <laughs> well, your life is like one of those avant-garde sitcoms. Like maybe like a British comedy, you know? That's six episodes and you never see it. And then, and then it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my life is the young ones. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm 51, so it can't be the. It could be Black Adder. I could just keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Just a little older and a little older. Well, um, one of the things, it was, it's almost been an ongoing theme on this podcast that I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I have now. Uh, and then I saw Spider Verse. So I'm caught up. But you haven't seen Spider Verse yet. I have so not we, seen Spider Verse. No, I think I missed I missed my chance because I was invited to the critic screening about a week or so ago, but I I couldn't fit it in. I didn't have the time. And now that it's out, out, um, everyone's seen it except for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. I had the unfortunate uh, problem. I saw it in a theater with a bad mix, no. so it was the sound effects and the score. I've never had this before. Were so loud. That then the dialogue was muffled, and by the end of it, I had a splitting headache. And I was like, we all walked out going, that was not as good as the first one. And then I looked at the reviews, and they were like, better than the first one. And I was like, maybe I should see it where it doesn't give me physical pain. That might help. That would. I mean, <clears throat> that what you're talking about was a common thing. Apparently, <clears throat> a lot of folks were saying that they couldn't understand the dialogue because of the score. Yeah, because Really? Of the I thought it was just me. No, there was a. <clears throat> I was hearing that a bit. It was out there, so um, uh, yeah, I could hear the. I could hear the dialogue fine, but if the score kicked in, yeah, it, it was just muddled. And the whole time, I was like, I, I was like, "Am I just getting old? Can I just not hear movies anymore?" And my nine-year-old looked at me and said, "I think I have permanent hearing damage." Oh, jeez! <laughs> it was loud. It was. It was really good, but I need to go back and watch it again. I mean, certainly, it's like the first one. There's just so many Easter eggs. That uh, even just on that level, but I think it was really good. It is definitely half of a first movie, um, and you know, and uh, it, not spoiler for you or other people. It's a half of a movie where, like, it's not like a Two Towers half of a movie. It's more like a Matrix Revelation half of a movie, or or Back to the Future Two half of a movie, where where I was like, did that movie even have a climax, or was it just the cliffhanger? But what I saw was great. 
And uh, it's definitely a movie I'm going to watch over and over and over and over again. Not not even because I'm a hardcore Spider-Man fan. Uh, Guardians 3 was also great, and it took me about a month to figure that out. <laughs> but, Did you watch it at Disney Plus? Like <laughs> Almost. <laughs> it, was like, it was a point I was like, well, how many weeks until Disney Plus? Because Ant-Man's there now. And I, I can't get, I still can't get my kids to watch Ant Man. They're like, ah. I still haven't watched Ant Man either. I was yeah. waiting, and I was like, eh, eh. Uh. Maybe the girlfriend wants to see it, so I will wait until she and I have some time to watch it together. But yeah. she also hasn't seen all the first. She wanted to watch all the first two Ant Man movies before. There's no reason. It has no connection to those, unless no. you don't know that Paul Rudd can shrink <laughs> and grow really big. Yeah, and grow really big. So he's both Ant-Man and Giant-Man, which, you know. Well, that started in Civil War. I mean, he had to become. I still think the end of Ant-Man was him becoming Giant-Man. Because when he goes to the Quantum Realm, mm-hmm. and they had already shown in the first one, they showed, like, a you know, toys getting real big and ants getting real big. It just made sense that when he came back from the Quantum Realm, he would have come back really big. And you could tell, like, at some point, Kevin Feige was like, let's save that for Civil War. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of like the comic Civil War, where it's like the comic Civil War is supposed to end with Captain America dying, but then they wanted to do it in Captain America. So Civil War doesn't really have an ending. Right. Because you need to create yet another miniseries to deal with another aspect. You know, again, back from one event to another event to another event. Yeah, and that's, you know, the MCU has learned well from Marvel comic publishing on on every level. But that being said, we also got this huge rash of streaming shows ending like in a week we got like three shows that that all ended and like the week before we got other shows and it got to a point where i was everything i was watching with jill ended and she literally looked at me and said what do we watch now (laughs) (laughs) i know that feeling yes and i'm like uh, i'm literally like elliot said 1923 is good it's got harrison ford in it maybe we watch that and I've been slowly getting her into Strange New Worlds, but she's just like, all you do nowadays is watch Star Trek. Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, yeah which did. which is all I do. I have Eagle Maw ships coming every single day now. <laughs> it's, it's not great. But it's, you know, uh, for me, Star Trek's kind of, it's kind of like Spider-Man. I need something hopeful. And it's yeah. like, I will just drink in as much hopeful. You know what I'm not watching a lot of? The X-Files. You know what I'm not reading a lot of? Batman. <laughs> But so within the last week, uh, Succession ended, uh, Barry ended, M- The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel ended, and then Ted Lasso ended. And it was just like, how many ways can we try to get you to cry at home? <laughs> well, and, and also how many how many different hot takes will uh, will the media critics have on on whatever show? Uh, there was, to me, no real consensus that anything was brilliant or great. I, uh, everything I, haven't I, heard it, I haven't heard anybody attack Barry yet, but I've heard it. I've heard. Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm. It and it's. It's. It wasn't even. Uh, it's amazing to me because I do follow quite a bit of writers, actual writers, you know, mm-hmm. published professional writers, on Facebook and. Boy, did they have stuff to say about the <clears throat> every ser- series finale as it came out. I was surprised with some of them. I was like, wow, really? That's that's your take on it? Okay. I'm not going to name names, but I was like, geez. I yeah, sure- well, 
I eventually we were saving Ted Lasso because we had watched we watched um Barry the Night It Happened. We were way, way behind on succession. We're like episode two of succession. Mm-hmm. And we were we were trying to decide it's like, okay, well everything's done. Maybe we do succession now. But I'm like, but now that it's over, does it matter? You know, some shows when they end, like Game of Thrones, Lost, X Files, what once they're once they're over, there's not a lot you don't have a lot of impetus to go back and experience that journey again. But, um, but we were starting to save stuff because of that. Like we watched Barry right away. We then we watched Mrs. Maisel a couple of days later, and we were saving Ted Lasso. But then there were so many hot takes of like, well, they shouldn't have done this, and why did they do this, and this was amazing, and this was terrible. And I'm like, just just casually looking at social media, we had we had to watch it just to avoid spoilers. Yeah, and um, oh, and for me it was. Uh, I the newest season of Yellowstone finally dropped on Peacock. So I've been spacing that out. I haven't been binging through entire seasons. I watch an episode one day, and then if I have a little time, I'll watch it a few days later, or I'll wait a whole week because I've only got eight episodes of this you know, particular season that they have up before they make me wait God knows how long again. Well, yeah, I'm surprised by that because you know it seemed like binging was going away. And everybody was going back to the weekly model. And then Disney um, Disney did Muppets Mayhem all at once. Yeah, yeah. And we took a couple weeks to watch it, and I did enjoy it. It's very much, you know, the Muppets are Disney's Looney Tunes. They're always going to do something with the property. It's never going to be that great. But it's sometimes it's really entertaining and it's worth watching. Uh, but I was like, I, I literally thought I would enjoy this more if I was only getting it once a week. Yeah. And they were doing everything else once a week. Maybe they just don't have the confidence in the property. Uh, Well, the Muppets haven't been that strong for them since Jason Siegel made a movie, and now that is 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But I've heard a lot of good stuff about Muppets Mayhem, and I did did watch the first episode. It was kind of fun. It's fun. It actually, maybe, which might be one of the reasons uh, they put it as a binge model, it really picks up by the fifth episode. (laughs) I'm not kidding. There's 10 of them, and it was like, yeah, fine, 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 fine. And then they do, they do Dr. Teeth's origin. And I'm not going to say what happens, but at the end of that, I was like, that was really great. And then after that, every episode kind of got better and better. So I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe I'll start with number five. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is one long season. I would say leave episodes two to four on in the background. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get to five, pay attention. Pay attention. Yeah, to me, but that's the thing. Uh, I go from <clears throat> I have nothing to watch to look. This show's got to earn my time because I don't have you know all the time in the world. Like that's why I gave up on Mrs. Davis after the first episode. I said I'm done. You know that it was. I didn't care for it. It seemed amateurish. It had mm. Damon Lindelof's uh, fingerprints all over it. Oh, and by the way, there's a new uh, a new tell-all novel talking about the the uh, toxic environment of, in the writer's room on Lost. Is, is that a novel? Is that a book? Because I thought it was book. an article. It's an article in Vanity Fair, but it was an excerpt from the book. So oh, that's going to be something. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling that uh, a couple folks are going to be, uh, mi- they might be out of work for just a little while until things. Yeah. Well, going. you and I were discussing, I think on the top men about Carlton Cuse. We, we were saying Carlton Cuse is probably keeping that together. 
seeing how shaky Lindelof was after. Oh, but he's they call him out on a few things too. He was direct accused. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, really? Stuff that he's gone through a lawyer to deny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting to the age now where um, I'm starting to realize ah, if I became a TV writer, I'd probably be just as pissed off as being an advertising writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's just the way, again, well, I mean, let's be honest, you and I were both guys. And it, yeah. it never really, that sort of, the sort of stuff that went on in writers' rooms didn't affect us as much as it did women and 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 women of color or people of color so yeah well you remember well, way back that came out about friends you know like a writer a female writer's assistant sued them like yeah. after they ended for that kind of behavior yeah. and their take on it back then was like oh we're writers we get to we have to be able to say anything we want to get the good idea and then, like that doesn't fly anymore not anymore no no, no like, look at <clears throat> look at the let's like, talk about a show like barry where that it people talk about what an incredibly positive atmosphere is like, what what Bill Hader is like as a director, and add to that, they even used a couple episodes of the show to call out some of the more toxic uh, uh, traditions in acting with yeah. you know, how directors would be. So right, yeah, a lot of a lot of the Henry Winkler's character and a lot of Sally and Darcy Carden's character, they do. Put, they do play a lot of that. And I think with um, with Bill Hader, I think it's because he comes from Saturday Night Live, which is everybody knows is a pressure cooker. And I've heard him in interviews saying he did like nine seasons, and he said he never, ever felt comfortable. He was like throwing up every Saturday morning. And I think part of that was probably like, I'm sure he was thinking if I got my own show, I would make sure we didn't feel like this. Because it is... I mean, in every way, Barry is the opposite of Saturday Night Live because it feels very careful and meticulous and well thought out and not a lot of episodes. So I think that was probably a, a deliberate reaction to where he had come from. Plus, the guy deals with anxiety. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And you can imagine dealing with anxiety and being on SNL. That, like, I, it's amazing that he got anything done. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and and now, yes, when you see him in his own element doing his own thing, you're like, good God, this guy was, with all that he did on SNL, he still was underused. And yeah. and you look at all that he's accomplished since, both as an actor and as a writer, director. I mean, I'll say with Barry, I will miss, um, I will miss that sensibility that he brought to the show because the dude was an incredible director when you whenever you look at his episodes that 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 have his you know name in the credit as writer or director mm-hmm. there was a, a there was just a certain feel to it especially with the series finale too yeah i think he both wrote and directed it uh he wrote and directed the entire season oh this whole season okay I, that's yeah i believe uh, yeah. yeah yeah he directed every episode and i think he still had a writer's room but uh yeah he directed every episode because I remember that's when I really started to think it was something special. Because I watched the, I feel like I watched the first episode and then I didn't have HBO for the rest of the first season. And I was like, oh, that was good. And then when I got it back, I caught up just because I liked him. And then I remember season two, there's an episode called Ronnie Lilly, where I think it might be the first one he directs, where he goes to like, he goes to kill, uh, he goes to kill like a, a martial arts expert. Martial arts expert. Yep. And, it, and his daughter attacks. And it's just so 
bizarre. Uh-huh. And it like it and it, it it steps over into supernaturalness and steps back, but it maintains that tone. And that's I remember watching that episode, and back then uh Game of Thrones was still on. And I remember it was like I think it was like Game of Thrones was on, and then it would be Barry and Curb at that point. And I I had dropped out of Game of Thrones in like season two. So my ex was watching Game of Thrones in the living room, and I was in my office watching Barry and Curb because it would come on the app. And that was the moment when it blew me away. And it it it's always felt like like Barry's this kind of cult show that's like an also ram, like a you know, like a news radio or a night court kind of thing where it's because it's always like next to Game of Thrones, next to Succession, next to Curb. And that was a lot of the articles I saw of like, of like, hey, people didn't give Barry's finale enough credit because everybody was talking about Succession's finale. And, uh, and yes, that's a show that people will look back on and go, wow, we just did not. It's I, It'll be like one of those cult shows that more and more people will see it after the fact and go, wow. You know, we didn't get that. I'm telling you, thinking back to the series finale, where when you consider... You know what? uh, We'll just say it out now. We'll discuss spoilers of the series finale. So either, I think if you're watching Barry, you've either seen the series finale, or you haven't started the damn show yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because there's no way you're like, "Ah, I dropped off in series season three. That, That show had a great way of raising the stakes. Just and again and again and again, that if you were in it, you could not let go of it. You couldn't let go, and the show never – it had always a setup and a payoff where the setup was very – let's just say very run-of-the-mill, very – you know, I could see that setup. But the payoff was always different than what you would expect. Right. Now, there was – there was, uh, it was – I would say – I would say that, especially for this, the series finale, where – they they managed to tie up all the loose ends, resolve all the issues, pretty much within what forty minutes, mm-hmm. which is pretty brilliant, if you ask me, and not in a way you would expect. No, in, in fact, it reminds me a lot of um, the Good Place in that way, where mm-hmm. uh, the Good Place is probably the the last great network sitcom, but the Good Place took such risks that that every almost every episode or at least every season i was like well you just blew up your own premise i was like where do you go you just ended the show and they always ended the show because they found a more interesting show to go to and barry definitely did that because you could have had you could have had barry taking acting classes and committing murders over and over again and it could have always been every some connect to the acting class and they did not do that they did that in the first episode and that was it. No, Hader but, knew that he could it could become formulaic really quick, and he said, yeah. "No, we're going to do." Bobby. I mean, plus, add to that, you had eight episodes a season. That's it. And mm-hmm. he had a lot. I tell you, the guy covered a lot of ground in fewer episodes than other shows did, and even twice as many. And it's a half hour show. Yeah, not it's not even an hour. But, but yeah, it the, felt like longer. It felt like more. So much happened in each episode. You're like, "Holy crap! That was just that was just half an hour or 35 minutes. No way!" And you fe- and you felt like you were living in that world for those 30 minutes. So you don't you don't even notice the time passing. You don't clock. And I have um, 
I don't know about you, but I have I have a structure clocking brain whenever I watch a mm-hmm. story. I go, oh, okay, so this is the old lost moment. Okay, we're in act two. Yeah. Okay, uh, all right, we're building up to the big climax. Oh, all right, this character's not going to come back for half an hour. And it uh, used to drive my ex crazy because when I was training myself on this in the days of DVDs, I would always hit display. And I'd go, oh, okay, that's the act one break. How long are we in? Okay, we're 34 minutes in. You know, and uh, with Barry, I just let go it's just like okay i exist in this world for as long as it's on and uh it 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 threw some people it took some people in uh different directions than they expected and it got again i i saw again some some of the professional writers that i follow some thought it was brilliant uh and others were like what 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 was up what was that supposed to be like the time jump that occurred in the middle of the season yeah, well, that, I, I love that because at the end of the episode, we were like, is that a fantasy? Because the, the, he's already established in the tone no difference between reality and fantasy. Yep. You know, there, there's a few episodes. Uh, there was one big one this season where you're like, wait, did that happen? And then you get to the next episode and you're like, well, there's no consequences for that. So I guess it didn't happen. So when they did that time jump, I'm like, okay, is this a fantasy? And then you get to the next episode. You're like, no, we live here now. Yeah. There's no fade to white. There's no caption. There's no there's no stylistic thing to let you know you transition. It's just the next scene. And even then, it was like I was wondering, wait a minute did did Barry go into witness protection like he was supposed to, or is it something else? Of course, they even turned over that little card at the very end where they said, "Oh, this is what's going on." You're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah." It it was it was just so brilliant. I the one. The one criticism I've seen, uh, which apparently happened in the writer's room as well, was that it just it got less funny as it went on. But <laughs> yeah. I was fine with that because it was still funny. There were still there were still moments, but the story got more and more serious and you were just so invested in it. And honestly, you know, not, not a lot of people come out smelling like roses in it. Yeah. Well, I think Bill Hader himself even said in one of the featurettes. You know, because this season three was during COVID. There was all this stuff going on. He knew that the show took a dark turn. And he went, oh, he goes, don't worry, folks. In season four, we'll bring back the funny. <laughs> and he, he did to an extent. Yeah, but to an extent, then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to an extent. There are a couple of real, there are a couple of broad moments. Uh, but they're still like story-based. Like I loved um, when, when their ship, when they move Barry to like the housing, the minimum security, and they're all talking to him, and he just looks up and he's like, "Yeah, that guy's gonna kill me." And it's Fred Armisen <laughs> make, making the most extreme face I've ever seen. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, "All right, you, you took a big swing." And and again, who would have thunk Bill Hader could do action? That he, yeah, he's a, essentially like a fucking action hero in this one and those scenes you're like oh i totally buy it i totally buy him as like ex-marine you know doing all this stuff yeah and not even not even the performance but the way he directs action yes you know there's the episode in season three i think with it where there, it's all the chase it's all like a motorcycle chase. all that motorcycle chase is incredible yeah. yes and he uses no score he knew, uses no quick cuts he doesn't play with a camera there's so many things are just in a wide shot there's there's a scene in this season because this season 
other than Barry, everyone is constantly betraying each other in this, in this series. Like, well, in this episode, are they friends or they try to kill each other? But the uh but uh when Anthony Carrigan is trying to kill Steven Root's character and uh and they start shooting at him, and you just watch the car, you just watch the car go down, and he gets out of the car and he's on the phone the entire time, and he runs and like falls off the ledge, the edge of the cliff. There are no cuts, and he is he is a tiny, tiny dot because you're over Stephen Root's shoulder. I could only imagine the logistics that went into setting up that shot. You know, everything has to happen on cue here, here, yeah. here. You know, that is, that is brilliant. Add to that the performances too. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, with the last with the last episode, how many shots were just a close up of an actor's face as they're giving a monologue? Stephen Root's monologue, where he tells Hank, "Okay, you know what? Change. I changed my mind. Uh, New Deal. I will walk away right now if you admit that everything you did is bullshit." Yeah, like, and you don't know what his motivation is. It's just, no. but I, I felt like a, a such a theme of that show is people who can't let things go. Yep, it's like people, self-destructive people who can't let things go, and it's like every major character is that, and that's a huge moment of that because you know. Because they're in a great place. They have like, well, when that starts an episode before, they're like bonded. They created this great deal. And he just won't let it go to the point where like they go to war over it. Yeah. And in the end, uh, you know, the Raven or Fuchs, he gets to walk away because he can let things go. Because at yeah. that point, he's like, okay, you know what? Everything I've done up to this point, I know it was bullshit. Let me, I'm going to do the, I'm finally gonna do the right thing now you know and yeah. and and but that's the one thing that saves him whereas everybody else even Cusano, oh my goodness the oh way, and that and he, that is such a footnote what happens to him i know and it's like it all gets turned around on his character where he, again if he would just let things go mm -hmm. he would have been fine but he couldn't yeah so it it, it ends up uh, even to the end where he goes seeking revenge it ends up, he ends up screwing himself. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's just so good. And of course that cast, the, you know, finally, I feel like finally the world is seeing how great Steven Root is because I've oh, been, God, yeah. I've been in love with this guy since the nineties, since uh -huh. Jimmy James on news radio. Yep. You yep. know, and then you go, you go back further than that. He's in everything. He's a Klingon in the uh, Leonard Nimoy episode of next gen. <laughs> he's in everything. He's, he's in no brother. Where art thou? He's in like, he's, He's and he's always great. He's one of those guys mm -hmm. who's like always great. And for years, I've been going, Oh my god, Stephen Root's in this uh, office space, you know. And people are like, Well, who's that guy? And I'm like, This guy has been in 150 things, and he can and, do anything. He could do, he can do drama, yeah. he can do comedy, he can do anything. The dude is a freaking chameleon, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, and he, it, it's so funny because in this, I'm like, Well, how old is Stephen Root? Because you know, news radio was 30 years ago. And he looks fantastic. He looks like a middle-aged guy, but he looked like a middle-aged guy 30 years ago. Who had done hard time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was like, wait, did he really get buff like that? Or did he always look like that? We just never saw it. You know, when I looked at him more, he I don't think he is buff. It's the way he's carrying himself. It's just he's, he's adding the character because I'm like, he's not cut. He's not like, he's not ripped. He's, I, I think it's just the the way he's holding himself. 
also uh, it's our body it, language it's it could be like those because i see these ads on the t- on facebook all the time for those really nice t-shirts that look good on us fat guys so they make us you know they make our arms yeah. look good but you yeah. know the rest of us you know it doesn't it hides it a little more that's what it is that's what it is because <laughs> he's wearing a tank top oh and, and uh but you know and the the opposite of um steve root who i've always loved Anthony Carrigan, who I did not know was this good. The oh. only thing I'd ever seen Anthony Carrigan in was Gotham, where he played Zaz. And nobody got a chance to be good on Gotham. It was just so schlocky. For And I watched that entire series. <laughs> it, was, it never got good. But but he would come on as, as Zaz because he was a guy with, like, no body hair. Yeah. You know, so it's like, ah, oh, put the, the slash scars on him. And when he showed up, I'm like, oh, that's the guy who played Zaz. And so funny just talk about subverting your expectations oh yeah no this was i'd never seen i'd never watched gotham so this was me discovering this guy and again yes uh, could do i mean in the beginning he's kind of like a comedic foil he's kind of a Mm. bit of a joke and as the seasons progress we get deeper and deeper into his character and then he becomes more and more formidable and 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 again, that character- but he still has that same attitude. It's, yeah. it, it's not like oh, he becomes a dark character now. Mm-hmm. It's like he still has that like playful, off the cuff, relaxed attitude. But the plot is drawing him in mm-hmm. stronger and stronger. Which again, it also speaks to the writing that that I don't think at any point during the during the season during the show did any of the characters really betray who they were for the sake of the plot. Because a lot of times you have to have, you know, you'll, you can see that. Like, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I mean, this happens in fucking Yellowstone all the time. Characters do the dumbest things just to set up the drama yeah. and set up some sort of thing uh, to, to to keep things going. You never see that happen. Never saw that happen in Barry. Everything was true to each character, and everything had a logical progression to it. Right. And it, it felt like the story was leading bill Hader rather than the opposite it wasn't like hey here are the beats we want to be here we want to be here um from the interviews i read he was like um the whole murder of janice which is the end of season one it keeps following because he's like well what would what would people's reaction be he's like it's not like dexter where it's like oh well forget about this guy and next season we'll go kill another guy Mm -hmm. he's like no it would just continue to haunt it would just continue to follow you around and it always does and not even in a you know, I'm uh, far be it for me to say anything against Vince Gilligan, but in better Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, it is that feeling of this net closing in, and you don't feel that in Barry. You just feel like, oh, we're in this place now. Okay, yeah. I'll make this decision. Oh, well, now we're in this place. You know, and you don't you don't feel you don't feel it being operated from behind the scenes. You know, I'm, and and yeah, I think Better Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul are better shows than Barry, but I can but I can see the structure. At times, and I I do not see it's this is like a fever dream. <laughs> it's that when you go back, you're like, oh no, it all fit because it could have been absolute nonsense. It could have been Twin Peaks by the end, and you'd be like, all right, that was that was an experience. But it's like, no, everything worked, everything laddered up, everything came together. Could have been a saint elsewhere. Mm, yeah, everything's yeah. in a snow globe. <laughs> yeah. So was so uh, yeah. It's, it gets so guess who wasted forty years of their lives? Everybody watching it. <laughs> At least Newhart knew what they were doing. Yeah, they were just was... like ah, 
They were like, yeah, I remember the first show was more popular. Eh, good. <laughs> That's it. Let's, let's throw in Suzanne Plachette. Yep. And uh, have and Bob Newhart ask her, hey, can you wear more sweaters? <laughs> yeah, that was so great. I still like, people still mention that as one of the greatest finales of all time. And I do remember watching that. I, it's like, I have this funny thing, because then after the, the, the end of Breaking Bad, they filmed that little... Um, it with Brian Cranston, yes. the Malcolm in the Middle. Yes, the parody yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, wait a minute. But did that, that didn't really happen. I don't remember that happening. But had it, that would have been brilliant. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it was a DVD extra. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find it on YouTube now. And if you haven't seen that, it's it's the exact new heart ending where Walter wakes up, but he's still Hal from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> and Gene Kazmarek is Lois. And they're just in the bed. They recreated the bedroom for Malcolm in the Middle. And he, he falls right back into that character. It's another one of the things I love about Brian Cranston. He falls completely back into Hal. There is no Walter White in him <laughs> whatsoever. Brian Cranston is another one of those guys. He can do anything. He can do drama. He can do comedy. Yeah. You know, Hal, the, the dude was the dentist on Seinfeld. It's yeah. You know, the guy can do he was it. Tim Watley. Do it all. Yeah. And, you know, and he has this attitude of just, just wants to work, you know? It's that like, um, uh, he doesn't have the range, but he has that attitude that's like Scott Bakula has, where like yeah. Scott Bakula is just like, all right, I'm in this show now. No, this is good. I'm in this show. I've mm-hmm. been listening to um, the Shuttle Pod show, which is uh, Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating interviewing other Star Trek people. And it's really fun and it's really light. It's like it it has like no interview feeling, but they whenever Scott Bakula comes up there, they always just say like, like they don't talk about him like he's their best friend. They talk about him like what a great guy. Just you know, just treated everybody well. Like you know, took care of everyone, knew what to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's how. Those are the lessons he learned in his career. He didn't learn how to become a diva. He didn't become learn how to become a movie star because he made a few movies that didn't really do anything for him. He learned how to be the lead on a TV series and like Ted Danson. He's gonna do that for the rest of his life. And I feel like Brian Cranston has that attitude it's just that he happened to get into the greatest show that's ever been yeah yeah then add to that that when you're a good person you get more jobs that way yeah if people want to work with you if you're a good person people will want to work with you that's a lot of long hours so i'm guessing that's going to be bill Hader's going to be writing his own ticket yeah yeah and well he's talked about movies and i'm like yeah he could very easily just move into like a Tarantino Coen Brothers frame. It's just like every three years or so make a movie and it's like more power to him. I mean, he has nothing else to prove, you know, from comedy or from television. He's got his own production studio, does his, you know, and now has all these people that he works with on the regular, just bing, bang, boom. Yeah. Well, um, well, flipping that to one of his Saturday Night Live contemporaries, um, oddly, uh, the finale that got a lot more attention, probably like more dissenting opinion, was was Ted Lasso ended this week. Yeah, well, because yeah, Jason Sudeikis was the showrunner on this last season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bill Lawrence, I think, stepped back. Was Bill and- Lawrence, was Bill Lawrence hands on? Because I always got the feeling um, that Bill Lawrence kind of helped got it get it made, but I didn't know that he was he had his hands on it. From what I understand, he was more like the first season more involved, second season bit, but by the third season it was like, okay, you know, my the 
our, our toddler can walk, let them, mm. you know, do their thing. Plus the Dake is taking over and just kind of like shepherding the whole thing. Um, and it was all about payoffs. It was all payoffs from things that have been set up, you know, the previous two seasons, which I think a lot of folks were like, oh, well, this is silly. Why did they go back to that? Why did they go back to that? What happened with this character? I go, you have not been paying attention the first two seasons if you didn't see where the progression was going, mind you, a little more predictable than Barry. You know, Barry went in in directions. I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Ted Lasso did a little juking and left and right on me. But most everything that happened, I kind of called it. I mean, you know. well, everything, everything that happened made sense. Yes. He, he did not create a finale for surprises. He right. created a finale to tie things off even though everybody but jason snake is like i don't know maybe there's more maybe it's a spinoff <laughs> but watching the season and the midway through the season i was like why is jason snake is a supporting character on his own show mm-hmm. because he his story pretty much stopped till the end and it's like well maybe it's because he was a showrunner and he was running things from from behind the scenes but i think i think he had done what he wanted to do with that character but uh so I think his character came to a natural con- con- conclusion. The thing is, like every great show, a show based on one character became an ensemble show. There, uh, though a lot of those characters still have a lot of life in them. You know, people want to see like a Roy Kent show or is it an AFC Richmond show? You know, because everybody else on that show has a lot more road in front of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, it, of course, they, he says that Talk about the whole thing at, at the very end when uh, Trent Krim is writing the book, you know, The Lasso Way, and his note to Trent is, call it something else because the story isn't about me. It never was. Right. So that was like, again, Jason Sudeik is his own little nod to, this is why you saw this change happen. We wanted to make it about everyone. I mean, how many ensemble shows you see end up becoming about one person? You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe if they're bad, <laughs> sometimes sometimes a breakout character takes over. But yeah, usually every sh- every show, even shows that have the name of the main character as the show, you know, Ted Lasso. But you go back to Seinfeld, Frasier. Mm-hmm. You know, it was as much as it's about Picard, mm-hmm. as much as it's about that guy. You have to put people around them, and those people have to have things to do before it runs into the ground. And eventually, it becomes less about them. Yeah. And and I remember there was all these parallels. They were talking about like the second season was the the Empire Strikes Back season as they as they referred mm-hmm. to it when things got dark. And then the the final season is the Return of the Jedi, you know. When if you look at the structure of Return of the Jedi, that movie's all about just paying off things that were set up before. Just, you know, again, uh, was it that the Mark Hamill wanted to call it? He, he, I remember reading about it when the, the movie was first in production and he knew what the script was. And he said, I wanted to tell George, let's just call it The Other Shoe Drops, you know, Star Wars, The Other Shoe Drops, because mm-hmm. it's just, again, all the stuff yeah. that has to happen. Ted Lasso felt like that. It was The Other Shoe Drops, you know, okay, no, no huge surprises, but when we set this up here, boom, we got to fix this here, or we're going to pay that off there. And it just kept going and going and going. And I kept waiting. At one point, um, I want, I'm trying to remember what episode. I think it was in the 10th episode. 
and they only had 12, uh, two episodes afterwards, huge payoffs. They were like one thing after another, after another. I'm like, holy crap, they know the end is coming soon. So they were resolving a lot of things like at a breakneck, breakneck pace. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I did see a lot of uh, criticism about this season. It's like, oh, it's like preachy now. It's like, it's like, it's too much. And I realized uh, to your point of paying everything off, the whole show is about, you know, wiping away cynicism and bringing in positivity. So the first show had a lot, the first series had a lot of edge because Ted was the only one positive. It, it was kind of like early season of Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. You know, Leslie was um, the problem with Parks and Rec in the beginning was that because uh, it, it was a show that did not work for a few seasons. And the the premise was Leslie Note gives too much of a shit. Everyone around her doesn't give a shit. And what Parks and Rec figured out was like, well, it's not that they don't give a shit because there's no energy in that. There's no motion in that. So it's, so it's, well, every character gives a shit about something. It's just not government, you know? And as that opened up, it became less about government and it became more about each person's personal goals. And that, and it became, I think by the end of it, one of the greatest sitcoms I've ever seen. The first seasons are awful, so I can't put it all the way up. (laughs) And it's a very hard show to recommend. Yeah. um, Well, you just start when Rob Lowe appears. Yeah. Rob Lowe and Adam Scott. When Chris Traeger, yeah, and when Rob Lowe and Adam Scott show up, that's when I remember. That's when I got into the show. I was like, "Oh, okay, now this is I'm I'm liking this." Yeah, it was a it was a show that like, well, it had a good time slot, so I kept running into it, running into it. But then, like, I realized by that final season, I was like, "Wait, this is really good." And then it ended, and I was like, "That was great." But I feel like the same arc happened with Ted Lasso. Is that everyone's cynical? I mean, the first season is is about Rebecca trying to destroy the team from within. It's the major league. It's major league. I remember going Scott oh, Bakula. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it all comes back to Scott Bakula. Uh, but then, it, as you said, the second season is Empire Strikes Back, where people are getting positivity, but they run into adversity. And can positivity survive that? And in season three, yes. Because in season three, every character is positive. Every character is nice to each other. And it, there were episodes where I was like, is this reality? Like everyone's in a good mood all the time and everybody's like loves each other and treats each other with respect. And I was like, well, maybe not, but, but it is the resolution of where we were going. And it, you know, even, teased, it even teased some little dark things could have happened, but then it swerved back. Yeah. I mean, even Trent Krim becomes part of the family. Yes. He was yep. the biggest, the biggest asshole. And it ends with like people saying like, Trent, we love your hair. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that is what they were going for. That's exactly, I think that what that show said to me was that, you know, there is, there is positivity in, in everyone if they try to embrace it, which is the whole uh, Nate arc. You know, right. like Nate becomes cynical, Nate, Nate becomes successful, but then he can't live that, goes back to where he was. The only person who who doesn't, you know, Roy Kent is like, you know, Wolverine in the late 80s. <laughs> you know, because Wolverine in the 70s is a psychopath that they might not even keep in the book. And then by the late 80s, he's like Kitty Pride's dad. And he's in power pack every issue. <laughs> you know, that's what they do with Roy Kent. So Roy Kent's still like, but he's just so lovable. And the only person who stays negative is Rupert, which um, I, I still had a problem like giant that much of a dick. 
I tell you in any way, but every time he was a huge dick, I'm like, but he's Giles. He was like the most, <laughs> he was the best character on Buffy. But man, the end of that episode, he's destroyed from within. Yeah, which is, I you was know, surprised. But yeah. yeah, He loses everything because of his negativity. Yeah, yeah. And he's the only one. Everybody else is, everybody else is okay. And which is why they're talking about a spinoff because not only is everybody else okay, but everybody else is still in that place where we left them. So that's why it's natural to feel like, well, where else can they go? Where else? God, they're all still together. Yeah, but my 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 hesitation to that is is because one, you've already had people complaining about this season, say it wasn't as good as the previous seasons, to which I'll call bullshit. I think the only difference between this season and the previous two seasons is just where we are as an audience. You know, mm-hmm. again, the first season of Ted Lasso took off. When and and even they were surprised because it got released while we were in the middle of lockdown. Yeah, and we and everyone was looking for some ray of sunshine, some sort of positivity, and everyone was depressed. And everyone was like, "Oh my god, how are we going to get through this? And what are we going to do?" And then so then a show like Ted Lasso comes along and pretty much perks us up. Now we're and then we thought, "Oh, we're going to be better, man." When we get out of lockdowns and we're back, and we're going to be better to our fellow man. You know, we're all going to work together. We're not going to we're going to help preserve the nature and the environment because it healed so much while we were in lockdown. And we're going to be better with each other out in the streets, and we're going to show each other more empathy and 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 compassion. And what what did we do the moment we came back? We started shooting each other. Yeah, we started shooting. Yeah, we started. We went back to being assholes again, and now yeah. we're like, ah, what's this Ted Lasso thing? What's it trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're being assholes at Ted Lasso. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- I think it was a perfectly good finale, and um, you know, like Jill keeps saying, like Jill's in love with Ray Kent, and no, she's isn't? just in love with Brett Goldstein. And I'm like, that's fine because you know, because because that means. That means I can just fixate on Hannah Waddingham, who's like the female Roy Kent. Oh, my. God. Although I will say this. This show did not have enough sassy for me. Yes. Every time sassy showed up, I'm like, I just want to know who she is. I just want to be around her. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. They would give her like one episode a season. I'd be like, oh, that's yeah. sassy. Now I'll say, though, uh, Hannah Waddington, Rebecca's hair. This, Perfect. This, all the time. God. Oh my God. And she was great though. She was yeah. great. Um, I thought I was really uh, to, to think she's the shame, shame, you know, right. Bell ringer from game of Thrones. Went, Get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, speaking of perfect, were you watching Mrs. Maisel? Cause that also finished up. I, uh, I know you really loved it and I thought I'd start getting into it, but I, I, I have not, I mean, I started watching somewhere in the middle. I just, I'll be honest, it wasn't my cup of tea. And you would think with Tony Shalhoub, I'd be all over it. Tony Shalhoub is great on it. I, I had issues with it. I kept watching it, but I had issues with it. Um, I do think Rachel Brosnahan in that role is the most beautiful person I've ever looked at. <laughs> so honestly, <laughs> honestly, she could be slapping children for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and there were allegations that she's a bad mother. She is a bad mother in it because the show's not about the kids. So like every every couple episodes, you're like, oh yeah, she has kids, because she's you know she's doing stand up every night. I had a baby and I had to stop doing stand up, and that was in 2007. She's doing it in 1961. Uh, yeah, I I had issues with it. I 
she did become a little bit of a Mary Sue for the middle seasons. Everything she does is perfect and everyone else is screwing up around her. And I think they, they course corrected that in the last season. Um, I, I still have um, every, you know, I, I feel like Mrs. Maisel filled the hole that Mad Men left. Cause like, Oh, we want to see what we want to see beautiful people in New York in the sixties. Uh, here, we'll give you that. You know, you missed Don Draper. Here's Mrs. Maisel. Uh, it did have a lot to say about stand-up. Some things were on point. Some things weren't. Uh, there were times I yelled at Mrs. Maisel because she got breaks I never did. <laughs> at one point, they were, one point, they were like, you've been doing it three years. I was like, I did it four, and all I had to show for it was an onion rejection. <laughs> uh, but they did play with it. I also had a weird – I also thought they played fast and loose with um, with Lenny Bruce. Because it was weird, because they lived in this fictional world where almost everyone was fake, was like an anal- an analog of somebody. The whole last season, um, we get uh, Ken Reed, who is was a big part of Veep and is also in Venom. He basically plays Johnny Carson in the final season. So there's a lot of it's at 30 Rock. This season also taught me there is no angle you can shut up 30 Rock that 30 Rock didn't use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there were a few episodes where Jill and I looked at each other and I was like, did they just ask Tina Fey for that shot? Because that's exactly. <laughs> um, but like he's John, he's Johnny Carson, but not Johnny Carson. But every now and then, the real Lenny Bruce would show up, and I, and you know, and like they would have these big moments, and I'm like, oh, oh, come on, you can't tell me, you can't tell me that this fictional character had an impact on this real character when you're no one else is a real character, is a real person. So there was odd things about that, but it was satisfying. The uh, they weren't planning on ending this season, but they got enough notice to make it the final season. And they did a lot of uh, jump forwards, kind of like Parks and Rec did in the last episode. So you do see what like you do see what Mrs. Maisel's like in the 70s and the 80s and 2006 and kind of like how she lives with those choices. And those were all well handled. Mm. So it's um, I would say, like I said, you know, you were on it off and on and off it. It's the kind of thing like if you're not currently watching something, yeah, you can go back and finish it. Right. You know, but but people that that was a week where people were like, oh my god, we miss you, Mrs. Maisel. You were the perfect show, and I was like, but are you though? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want them. I want them to bring back Hacks because that one was. Yeah, well, that's uh, Writer Strike is has locked that down. It is coming back, but oh, okay. Just like everything else, when the Writer Strike is resolved, I mean, we don't know when we're getting Spider Man Four. That's what I read yesterday. Right. Because it, it wasn't for far enough along when the writer's strike happened. Hacks is great. Hacks was another one that was like a nice surprise where I watched that in two days and it was five episodes of thinking it was okay. And then by the end, I was like, oh, actually, this is really good. Yeah. The second season is way better than the first season, though. I mean, it yeah. It really finds itself. Really yeah, I think. Well, they find the characters a little yeah. more, I think. I, um, But... Yeah, there's no problem with that. Not gonna be, unless, you know, Max does this Max thing. Yeah. <laughs> he just keeps canceling stuff left and right. Like, you know, um, I keep... Last week, I was like, I'm so fed up with Max. That's it, I quit. And then I realized I, I was on the yearly plan, so I have six months left on it anyway. And I was like, all right, but I won't sign up next year. And then still, I was like, wait, Conan's getting a Max show. I was like, Hacks is going to come back. You know, there's there's... They just, you know, and I was going to quit Max when, once Barry ended, but I'm like, uh, Curb's going to come back at some point. And I got the press release. Uh, they have a shit ton of DC Universe stuff up there. I mean, all the uh, movies, 
animated series. Remember when we were like, oh, they're taking Justice League off, they're taking this off, that off? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but they're also putting up all this other stuff. Yeah, well, and and you know what? I don't. I learned not to worry about when stuff goes off anymore because they dropped Justice League a week later. Was on Netflix, right? You know it. Uh, well, unless, honest, unless they're dropping it from Disney Plus, and then that shit's gone. I mean, yeah, because they don't want to sell it to anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck finding the world according to Jeff Goldblum again. Yeah, good luck finding Willow. Willow's done. Yeah. Well, and that that's what's crazy. And I mean, we could just go on and on about that. But they're canceling things they produced. Yep. It's one thing to it's one thing to drop Justice League and then sell it to Netflix. I mean, that's what happened with the Star Trek movies. The, all the Star Trek movies went over to Peacock. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, Paramount Plus has established itself as the Star Trek place. They went out of their way to pull the series off every off everything. And you remember, everybody had Star Trek for years. Like Hulu had it and Netflix had it and Amazon Prime had it all at the same time. And Paramount went, nope, 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 nope. We're taking it all back. We're taking it all back. But uh, you can have all the movies. And then this week they're like, the movies are all back on Paramount Plus. And I'm like, oh, this is how you're making money. You pull it off your own service. You sell it to somebody else. You give them like six months and then you bring it back. You know, so. No, then what? Um uh, the well, I mean, Disney doesn't mind um, getting rid of their shows. I mean, they just shut down. They're, they're shutting down the Galaxy Star Cruiser. That that yeah. entire hotel that, that was they, five thousand dollars for four, two nights. Yeah, but how much money did they sink into that hotel? You know, mm-hmm. and they're just like, okay, you know what? Didn't they gave it eight months and like, yeah, you know what? Doesn't work. We're we're shutting it down. Holy, you you built an entire hotel. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't just open it up and go. All right, we're not doing the experience anymore, but you, but you can you can get a room at the Star Wars Hotel and then go into the park. Yeah, because th- that was the thing that kind of threw me off. It was five thousand dollars, and you you know how often do you get to go to Disney in your life? And you're only allowed to do that. Like you're like you check in at Star Wars Hotel and you live in the Star Wars world for two days, and I'm like, well, then I don't get to go to Magic Kingdom. No, you don't. You get to go to Galaxy's Edge. That's it. And then, yeah. And they bring you back. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, for, if you want to do a two-day LARP. But for a trip that costs like twice what your Disney – what twice what your Disney trip cost if you just went to each of the parks. Right. Yeah. And, and, and keep your kids indoors the whole time. Yeah, and, and to your point, they built the hotel. Just pay extra to stay in the Star Wars <laughs> Hotel. Wake up in the Star Wars Hotel and go to fucking Epcot. But yeah, now that I think about it, they might just do that. I mean, they might shut down the experience, but say, "Well, we've got this hotel now." Yeah, because then all you're really doing is just is just like having reassigning people to other jobs. Yeah, you know, you still have the rides there, which I, I still haven't gone to. They were constructing it the last time I went to Disney. But yeah, but Disney still they have like three thousand people or seven thousand people, whatever that they that they need to find other jobs for now because. Well, or they don't because the layoffs are coming fast and furious out of Disney. Oh, yeah. Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah, they they fired the person at Pixar that saved Toy Story 2 when it got deleted. Yep. Just let them go. It's just, you know. Uh, because we can't, we're only making $3.2 billion a year instead of the five point four that we were expecting. Well, I say it all the time. It's not about what we're making. It's about how little we're saving. It doesn't matter if we make two billion or five billion this year. If we spend three hundred and fifty million, that is too much, and people got to get fired. Capitalism. 
late stage capitalism. Late stage capitalism, death rattle capitalism. You know, I, I often think about, remember when Marvel was like one floor in Midtown and there were, you know, 14 guys that worked there and just put out everything. But then again, what are those 14 guys looking for? A lot of them are doing Kickstarters. Yeah. You know, to get health. It's, it's, yeah. Oh my goodness. Man, you're bringing me down. I know it's all my fault. (laughs) It really is. Well, I I will say at all shows at ending, there still ain't nothing beating Picard. Picard, no. Picard had a had the the most satisfying ending that you could get outside of again. Well, we talked about it, you know, in the previous episodes. A couple contrivances. Um, uh, yeah, but I was fine with that. But Jack, contri- Jack Crusher can suck a bag of dicks, as far as I'm concerned. I would watch my Star Trek Legacy. The contrivances I saw, I felt like were just Terry going, "Yeah, you want us to do this? this is how we're doing this?" I will give you this. Why is data old? We built an old data. That is the biggest contrivance I've ever heard. And I was like, but Brent Finder's playing data again? Fine. Yeah. I will eat your we built an old data. <laughs> Why would anybody want to build an old data? I'm not going to ask. Well, they built an old Picard. So, you know. You well, no, they built a Picard that was the exact age when he died. And I really thought they were going to. Uh, that was one of the brilliances of it because I thought season two when Q showed up, I thought Q was going to take one look at him and goes, "What? You're a robot? Now you're not a robot anymore." Yeah. And instead, they were like, "No, nope, we're going to make it a major plot point in season three. Mm-hmm. Although I still don't know because they shot seasons two and three at the same time and they brought Terry Metalis on in season two. I was like, "Did he have no control?" Because there was a lot of Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker stuff happening. <laughs> yep. Two and three. Well, no, no, we don't like, like that. Wait, didn't... Yeah. Well, season season two ends up with with the nice Borg and his and Picard's Romulan girlfriend. That don't last long. Nope. But that, Terry is like, uh huh. I mean, he just kept making a list. Uh-huh, yeah, but he was in uh-huh. the room. Right? Like he yeah. couldn't go. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, he was like, okay, I'll let you guys do that. I'm just I'm just taking all that away next when I'm in charge. <laughs> it reminds me of the last season of Cheers when uh, Frazier and Lilith break up. But then the second to last episode, they get back together, so they have a happy ending. But then three months later, they start the Frasier spinoff, and BB Noodle doesn't want to do it, so it's it broken up again. No, I was like, I was like, that was a very failed reconciliation. Uh, it's like life. Come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess that's that's the theme of the podcast. Do we want our stories to look like stories? Do we want our stories to look like life? Ooh. You know, do we want more berries? Man, and talk about the the great last words for for Barry. Like, oh hey, oh. that was yeah. That's the name of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it's kind of hard to beat. And like I said, I I was so I'm so far behind in Succession that I'm like, ah, I feel like I should watch it because everybody wants me to watch it. But then again, I'm like, oh, 1923 has Harrison Ford in it. Oh, and that that's the other thing I'm hoping we were talking last night about Ted Lasso. Yeah, do you want more berries? Do you want more Ted Lassos? That that's the question. Do you want do you want we're giving you exactly what you expect, or you don't know what's gonna happen? Yeah. I mean to me, I mean I if if Ted Lasso ends here, I'm happy with it. I'd be like, nah, that 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 was satisfying. I know I know the characters are fine. I know they'll they'll be fine. It's See, good. My hope, uh 
like I said, Jill's in love with the Roy Kent. And she's like, why don't they just do the Roy Kent show? And my hope is, you know, Brett Goldstein created Shrinking. And yeah. he's not on it. No. Put him on the second season. Don't you want to see Brett Goldstein go at go at it with Harrison Ford? Oh, God, yes. That, that show is coming back. Yep. And yep. he's Hercules. That's yep. somewhere. At some point. Because, you know, Marvel. I don't know what the hell is Marvel now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were like in the middle of production of Deadpool 3 as well as uh, Captain America 4. Yeah, yeah those are still happening. The writer's strike did not shut those down. What they yeah, said Harrison. is they cannot do any rewrites. Yeah, well, no rewrites, which maybe for the case of a Marvel film is a good thing after everything that Sam Raimi yeah. went through with uh, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, well, less reversals. Yeah. I will yeah. tell you, though, just so you know, um, that if you watch 1923, it, it, it's very much like uh, Spider-Man, uh, you know, across the Spider-Verse. It ends in the middle of the story. I mean, oh, okay. Like, and yeah, so season two. Yeah. We'll pick so that up. They definitely leave it like on a cliffhanger. Like, oh, mm. come on. I remember going, what? That's how it ends? <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I will want to see that. Although I just saw Helen Mirren in uh, Shazam: Fury of the Gods, and ooh, yeah. that movie is so much worse than I thought it was going to be. Oh, but that's on Max, and I already paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it was, it was like it wasn't as bad as Black Adam, but it was the same impetus as Black Adam. I'm like, well, I haven't seen it. It's here on Max for free. I got two hours before I'm going out. And uh, for as far as the Flash goes, I have gotten invites to at least three different advanced screenings of this movie, what, in and, three different locales. And how are you feeling about it? Uh, I'm like, this—that's how desperate they want to get people in to see this thing and try to get some positive word of mouth out there about it. Yeah, I it. Well, I mean, foregoing the Ezra Miller debacle and foregoing the end of the Zack Snyder verse debacle. Uh, it really rubs me the wrong way that they're banking everything on Michael Keaton. Yeah. Cause the movie is the flash. Like that just tells me that you don't, you don't believe in your character enough to not just turn around and make it a Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And the flash is a great character. Not even like, Hey, you got to go back and read the old comics. They're great. The fucking TV show lasted 10 years, lasted longer than Smallville. And and but you make a movie and you're like, uh, but it's really a Batman movie, and it's just, like, I I can't see any way it's a satisfying Flash movie. To this, to the point where it's like, I, no one, I don't understand why they cast Ezra Miller. I I don't, I never got it. I really never got. Now he was he never quite right for the part and didn't didn't really knock it out of the park and then imploded, imploded yeah. in a. Uh, you know, in a Kang way. <laughs> or or Robert Downey Jr. way. Yeah, well, that means we got to wait 10 years for him to get his shit together. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe. That 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 could be the case, you know, as a young guy or yeah. a young person. Yeah. Um, you have a greatest thing in the world? We talked about a lot of big shows, but... Uh, greatest thing in the world. Well, uh, I did have a few, but I will say finally, finally, um, yes, Yellowstone is on Peacock. So I can, I'm not going to call it the greatest thing in the world, but let's just mm-hmm. say it's like a car crash where 
it, you know it's going to happen. You know it's it's going to be a wreck, but you can't pull your eyes away from it. <laughs> is this the last season? I, I no, that's the that they, it's, it's this is actually supposed to be like the midpoint of the fourth season. There are supposed to be more episodes of the fourth season. Oh, so they're doing the split season thing. Yeah, which but always seems like a contract. Yeah, negotiation. And apparently, there's there are all these rumors about Kevin Costner. You know, not wanting to come back or only wanting to do so many episodes or blah blah blah, and it's just been a lot of talk. So, mm. eh. uh, but you know, just that I can actually watch it without having to, you know, you know, subscribe to yet another channel, which was Paramount, the Paramount Network. Oh, so it's on Paramount and it's on Peacock. It's on Paramount Network, but it wasn't on Paramount Plus. If you can oh, I thought it was on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus has the has the. Um, the 1883, 1923, the, the, the Yellowstone prequels, those period Jeez. pieces. But the uh, Peacock has all of the Yellowstone show itself. Oh, okay. So that's been my, it's, really, it's it's a guilty pleasure. It's Dallas. For folks yeah. who might remember okay. Dallas back in the day. That's what it is. People yeah. call it Dallas. It's like, the, was it? it's succession with cowboys mm -hmm. in a way. And all the characters are horrible, horrible people. They're toxic. They're people that you wouldn't want to hang out with. And you're just waiting for all of them to meet some sort of ghastly end. But see, that that's why I haven't gotten into Succession. Because I watched the first episode and I was like, well, I hate them all. <laughs> I, I like all the actors. I hate all the characters. Right. I'm like, do I want to watch 40 episodes of, the, of these characters just to see all but one get screwed over? Well, and I could I couldn't do it with Game of Thrones. Couldn't hang on. I know, same. Well, that's why I would say watch the menu. Have you seen the menu? No, Jill saw it. She said it was great. It's a w great movie, and it's exactly that. It's a whole yeah. bunch of characters that you would loathe, and just can't wait to see them get what's coming to them, except for the one who gets out. And yeah, there's course. a lot, there's a lot of eat the rich going on lately. Yes. Uh, well, speaking of guilty pleasures, uh, my greatest thing in the world was I went to the Chicago theater last night and saw Steve Martin, Martin Short. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm so jealous. I saw your posts about yeah, that. Yeah, it was really, really fun. I mean, first of all, um, first of all, seeing them live, that's not something that I even considered, you know. Steve Martin stopped doing stand-up in the early 80s, so I never thought I'd go to a theater and see him. And Martin Short was just always on TV. Um, it was really fun. They copped to it right up front. They were like, they were like, uh, uh, Steve Martin comes out first and he goes, he goes, well, you know, we had the pandemic, so we stopped the tour for a while. We thought this would be a great, great way to rewrite the tour and do a lot of new material. And then we didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, they had a, they had a so, special on, on, uh, on exactly Netflix. half of the material they did last night is in that special. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, you know, like Martin Schwartz sings the whole stepbrother of Jesus again. He does the Jiminy Glick puppet again. And I'm like, I've seen a lot. There are new jokes in it, but I've seen a lot of it. But within two minutes, I was like, well, first of all, um, I get it because they've created three seasons of a hit show. So, you know, continue to focus on writing that show rather than writing new bits for your stage show that you've been doing. Uh, but also, it's like all the jokes still worked. <laughs> like half of the jokes I laughed out loud of, I, I immediately went, "Oh yeah, I remember they did that on the Netflix special." Everything landed, and it was just it was so much fun. I don't think I've enjoyed myself at a show that much in a long, long time. 
Like there was nothing analytical about it. There was nothing like, oh, what? okay, they're making that move. Why are they doing this? Or, you know, ah, when he was young, he could do this. And now, you know, I'll give him a pass. It was just really, really fun. Well, then let me real quick throw in another Netflix special. I think we've talked about it, but John Mulaney's new special too. Oh, John Mulaney's new special is great. Oh, and I think you should leave season three's comeback. I'm saving that for, for the boys. Okay. Because that show's insane. So, yeah, but he talks, uh, I uh, really like what he was talking about. He, he revisits rehab. Yeah. Says some stuff, revisit. I mean, there were some jokes I remember from his last special. But then he comes up with a new spin on some other things. I'm like, oh wow, okay. it's the most personal I've ever seen yeah. him do because he was always like that very Seinfeldian observational. You and know? then he shows up in Bupkis. The um, the uh, I haven't seen Bupkis yet. Is that worth it? It got it got Joe Pesci out of retirement. I'm telling you. Yeah, but so did the Irishman. Yeah, well, it's it is it's quite good. I, I will say, okay. I, I was I, I like was, Pete Davidson. No, he he's quite good in this. I'm like, okay, now I get it uh but i, I will say pete davis is really a better dramatic actor than he is a comedian in my opinion so i can say that yeah i like him i feel like he's got he's, he's got an authenticity about him where he's not like he's not studied where he just he does feel like somebody you would know you know there's a lot that there's a lot of staten island about him it kind of kind of the way that uh that always sunny makes me feel oh always sunny's coming back this week um, where it's like he's not playing by the rules of comedy. He's just kind of doing his thing and it's working. Mm-hmm. But I did like that. And I liked uh, King of Staten Island, the movie Judd Apatow made with him and Bill Burr. He was great in that. Oh, then you have uh, Edie Falco playing his mom. I mean, mm-hmm. Ray Romano is showing up. Oh! Playing, either He's either playing himself or he's playing like a a, delu- a delusion that that – Pete Davison is having of Ray Romano, and it's just okay. this weird joke that runs through the whole thing. How many episodes is that? Uh, eight. Hmm. It's a short. It's a short season, and again, and Joe Pesci's very good in it. Uh, Joe, yeah, Joe, Pesci's Joe Pesci is is still great. Well, I feel like I feel like we've come full circle. We we've met, we started off going like, oh, all of our favorite shows ended, and we ended with like, all of these shows are coming, and that's the way it is now. We are no longer. We are no longer saying like that show's ending. Why? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like, oh no, the story's done. We we can end it now. It's it's not like it's not this thing has been running for ten years and the actors are sick of doing it. Is it that uh, that's? I think that's the British sensibility finally hitting the American finally. market. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my dude, my my favorite show ever is a British show that ran twenty four episodes in ten years, <laughs> and they haven't made it in thirty. Yeah, you know, which, which was it was Black Adder. Black Adder. I love the Black Adder so much, uh, and never, it never, ever, ever gets old for me. But there's only 24 of them. You know, it's like watching Monty Python. You've seen them all, but they're going to be good. Yeah, that's what we need. All right, Elliot, how can we find you? As always, I'm on the socials at Elliot Serrano with two L's, two T's, and two R's. Uh, you'll find me most everywhere except for Twitter. I've I've left that right wing propaganda platform. <laughs> you can also catch me on other episodes here on Caffeinated Comics, mainly the MCU Review and Top Men and Indiana Jones podcast. And then, of course, we have Facebook pages dedicated to the MCU Review and Top Men 
Uh, we're going to be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home on the MCU review, as well as Far From Indiana- Home. I'm sorry? Far From Home. We haven't Far- even- is it Far From Home or No Way Home? Far From Home is the Mysterio one, yeah. That's no right. Way Home is the, is the new one. And They're then, all uh, home. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and then, uh, but we'll probably hit Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull sooner because uh, we are coming up really fast in Dial of Destiny. So. Yeah, we are. We definitely are. And you, you can find me on not on my book. I am still on Twitter. I, I'm not. Po- I'm not posting very much anymore. I'm more lurking. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I'm in too many Facebook groups now. Everybody's getting on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you commenting on the the Indiana Jones collector uh, collector page. Yeah, and those guys are getting on my nerves. <laughs> I know, aren't they? Aren't and they? The, uh, oh, and I'm deep into the Eagle Moss Star Trek guys. There's just I'm I, you know my feed is just full of I bought this and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, uh, give me reasons. <laughs> Can I you know? <clears throat> um, but I'm not in my book on Instagram, which I post even less. Uh, but you can find this show if you're not already subscribing to it anywhere you get podcasts. And that's probably the best thing I can say. And I'm also on Top Men and uh, the MCU Review. And what will ever come next. But either way, whatever comes next, we will talk to you next week.